Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. It is draft day. John Schmelkin, <laughs> Paul Dettino with you. And we have one more Big Blue Kickoff Live before we know who the Giants are going to select at fourth overall. And the question we've been asking for the past what seems like three months, and it is actually three months, will finally be answered. Before we get to our guest, Tony Pauline, want to remind everybody of our coverage of the draft on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Unfortunately, as I mentioned on a previous show, we cannot do our live show on Friday night due to NFL rules, but we will be live on Saturday right after the Giants' fourth-round pick. We'll have to do the conference call with the players, so there might be a little bit of a pause, and then we'll jump on the show, and we will have Big Blue Kickoff Live for an hour on Saturday during day three of the draft right after the Giants' fourth round pick. In addition to that, we're going to have a special live show on Sunday at noon where we take calls and we get full reaction uh, to the draft. We'll take calls during the live Saturday show as well, and we will um, talk to fans about what you thought of the draft. And in addition to that, we're going to do rapid reaction podcast records on Thursday, Friday, and on Saturday after the draft is over. Um, and basically react quickly to all the picks. So stay tuned on those evenings. Again, Thursday night, Friday night after the picks, and then at the end of the day on Saturday after the live show, we'll have recorded Rapid Reaction Podcast on Giants.com and all your favorite podcast platforms, the Giants mobile app, and we'll have a normal show on Friday afternoon as well. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Jeff, Paul, Paul, how are you guys doing today? Great. Excited. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Mm. It is time. Rev up those engines. I've got my six-pack of uh, five-hour energy. Ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not taking it right now, though. I'm going to save that till later around 11 o'clock tonight when I'm usually in bed. Pace yourself, Jeff. We have three days. I know. Well, all right. I'll just do two a day then. How's that? (laughs) All right. So let's get to our guest. He's one of the best insiders when it comes to the NFL draft. He's a frequent guest of the show, a friend of the program, Tony Pauline from Pro Football Network. And nobody has his finger to the pulse of what's happening with the draft more so than Tony Pauline. Tony, you got Schmelk, Dettino, and Fiegels. Uh, Big day. Are you pumped up? Are you excited? Yeah, I, I mean, excited, a little bit nervous. Uh, you know, now comes the time where the uh, predictions, you're either going to look like a hero or you're going to look like a fool or you're going to look like somewhere in between. So there's always a lot of excitement but a little trepidation because you want to try and be ahead of the curve. And, and then at 8 o'clock it doesn't matter because the teams are going to pick who uh, they meant to pick all the way through. Well, and I guess we'll start here. Do you sense that it's been a little bit more difficult to read the tea leaves this year? Um, and what teams are going to do with all the different challenges everyone has faced? A lot more difficult getting information this year, and you really have to make sure that, you know, you you, kind of source it a couple of times to make sure it's true. Unlike previous years where you would have 30 to 40 guys walking into a team facility in the morning and leaving a team facility at night, you don't have that anymore. Or you don't have that this year, I should say. You have guys spread out, working on Zoom, talking individually rather than in a group. So, yeah, the, the information has been a lot, more, a lot more difficult to come by, and when you get that information, you've got to get a couple of sources to confirm that it's true. Tony, we had you on at the Combine in Indianapolis, and there was so much talk at that point about teams that might try to trade up and get quarterbacks. Obviously, there's a, a top-heavy tackle class. We know that uh, there are certainly some guys who are going to want to target these players. But now that we're getting close to this actual draft happening, it seems to me with the logistics 
and the, the video conferencing and the phone call conferencing, I'm getting the impression that there will not be as many trades as we may have thought back at the Combine. See, here's the thing is, I think it's more, who are the teams trading up to get? Yep. The quarterbacks have been devalued. When you look at after Joe Burrow, Tua because of the injury, Herbert because people just you know are concerned about the fire. So there's really, I mean, the player that people want to trade up to get is Chase Young, and Washington is not going to give up the opportunity to let to select Chase Young unless you blow them out of the water with some insane deal. So I think it's just as much the fact that you know what. Is the team going to trade up to get a tackle? As you said, there are a lot of real good tackles in this year's draft. No one's trading up for the quarterbacks. Every year, you know, the teams at the top and their fans and want that team at the top to trade down to get extra selections. They're drafting at the top because they are bad teams and they need a lot of players. And once in a while, those, those trades happen. I just don't see, especially with the devaluation of the quarterbacks, as we've seen over the past month, no team is going to you know, trade up to get a quarterback a la the way they traded up for Jared Goff or Carson Wentz or, or, or even RG3 for that matter. Or Donald. Or Donald, exactly. Tony, um, on the day of the draft, usually, you know, there's some rumors going around, just a lot of stuff that people are talking about. Um, as you woke up this morning and, and even late last night, is there anything that you are hearing now that is creeping into the conversation that wasn't there a day or two ago that has have you scratching your head a little bit about, you know, either guys moving up the board uh, or guys moving down or even the fact that, you know, like we just talked about the trade, but is there something there that's, that a lot of people just aren't talking about that you're hearing that something might go down here? You know, I mean, there's, there's talk at, at the end of round one. People don't know what's going to happen. That usually is the case. I'm hearing that there may be more cornerbacks selected late in round one than people are presently project, uh, projecting. I'm hearing a guy like Michael Pittman of USC is moving up draft boards. I don't expect, I don't think there's going to be any major surprises in, in, the, uh, in the top 15. I think the big question is, does Jordan Love fall, and how far does he fall? I think a lot, that, a lot of that depends on whether or not Miami takes a quarterback at five, which I don't think they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Javon Kinlaw, the big defensive tackle from South Carolina, that's another interesting story. There are a lot of teams who have moved him down draft boards. A lot of teams were not impressed with his interviews. But I'm hearing the one team that really likes him a lot is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they could take him at nine. If Jacksonville doesn't take Kinlaw at nine, he could actually uh, do a bit of a tumble into the bottom half of round one. Yeah, and the Jaguars picking it at 20, so they could always have him there if they don't get him in nine tone. Uh, you mentioned there in passing the Dolphins, and I think they've done a great job disguising their intentions. I was hearing the same things you just mentioned last night, uh, that, yeah, they're really in, interested in a tackle here, and then maybe with one of their other first-round picks, they might scoop up Jordan Love instead. Uh, what do you think Miami's going to do? And, and it just seems like they're just trying to keep everybody guessing. They are, but I, I think we can say with certainty they're going to address the offensive line and they're going to address the quarterback position. I have them taking Andrew Thomas at five. If the Giants don't take Andrew Thomas at four, then taking Jordan Love, they could take a second tackle with that third first-round pick, maybe an Isaiah Wilson or possibly a running back like DeAndre Swift because they're going to address running back. We know this about the Dolphins. 
they're going to address offense early. I absolutely agree with you. They've done a great job disguising uh, what's going on, and I think the situation that you asked me about in the beginning, the fact that the information has been harder to come by and you've got to really squeeze hard to get the information, has helped the Dolphins disguise what they're going to do. Paul, I want to do a quick follow-up here, real quick tone. What are you hearing about the Giants' intentions, not just the number four, but even up and down the draft? You know, there was a story last week that broke. Everyone thought it was going to be Isaiah Simmons, Isaiah Simmons. And then I started to hear it's going to be an offensive tackle unless uh, Dave Gettleman can't get away from Derek Brown. Derek Brown basically checks off all the boxes uh, for Dave Gettleman. I know a lot of Giant fans would go insane if they selected Derek Brown, but I think it would be a great pick. I think it would be a great pick because I think while Derek Brown <coughs> excuse me, is not the impact player of Chase Young, He's a more complete defender. He's a more complete defensive lineman. In the end, I think it's going to be one of the offensive tackles, either Tristan Wurst or Andrew Thomas. I think uh, come top of the round two, uh, if a guy like Cesar Ruiz, the center, the dominant center from Michigan, happens to fall down to the giant selection, which is a possibility, I think they, again, they fortify the offensive line with a good young prospect like Cesar Ruiz. Boy, you that know, is music I, to my ears. I know. That's been something that Jeff has been talking about for a while, Tony. Let, let me ask you about the tackles, though, again, because I'm of the opinion that Solder and Fleming, they may not be here, both of those guys, for more than one more season. I mean, this may be it. Maybe next year the Giants have to have two different guys starting. Maybe that one guy is the number four pick that they make tonight. But who's going to be the other starting tackle? I'm of the opinion, Tony, that they may be able to get a slightly developmental tackle either in round two, three, or four and have that guy maybe compete for the other starting tackle spot in 2021. How likely is that scenario? Am I crazy? Well, the problem here is if they had that early third-round pick that they gave to the Jets for Leonard Williams, I think they could get a good tackle at the top of round three. If you're looking at a tackle at the top of round two, to fit your, you know, what your theory is, what your strategy is. Isaiah Wilson from Georgia is very unlikely to be there. Josh Jones of Houston, who played left tackle uh, at Houston, but I think he's better off at right tackle, uh, could potentially be there. And depending on what they do in round one, you know, you could come back. If you feel you need another tackle, take Josh Jones in round two. If you're looking for a developmental guy who could fall to the Giants, Late in round three, with that uh, compensatory pick that they're getting, keep an eye on Ben Barch, the small school player from St. John's in mm-hmm. Minnesota, was a t- had a terrific week of practice at the Senior Bowl, has moved up draft boards. A lot of people like him in the third round. I think that late third-round pick, again, if the Giants are looking tackle there, that's a consideration. When you get into the last day of the draft, there are still some solid offensive tackles that will be available to him. Colton McKivitz of West Virginia, Charlie Heck of North Carolina, guys that I think can start in the second half of their rookie season and be long-term starters and have good NFL careers down the road. You have Niang as a second or third round choice on on the board that I saw on your website, uh, Pro Football Network. Where would Niang have, have come in had he not had the labrum surgery on his hip? If he had, if he had uh, played his entire senior season, and most importantly, gone to the Senior Bowl and had a knockout week of practice at the Senior Bowl, you're talking at Neon as a potential top 42 selection. 
teams love his size. They love his NFL-type body. They love the fact that he plays with, with just tremendous uh, fundamentals. They love his upside. The fact that his season was over late October, we broke that story um, because of the hip labrum. And it was really an injury, if you read our story when we broke it, it was an injury that probably he should have had the operation in August. He really never should have played in 2019. He should have been rehabbing the season, but TCU stuck him on the field. All things being equal, if he was able to finish out the season and then had a week of practice at the Senior Bowl the way, say, Ben Barch did that I just mentioned, the way Matt Pert of Connecticut did, I think that Yang is a top 42 selection. Uh, Tony, I, I'm a big believer that the Giants are in need of a safety this year. Um, just with Jabril Peppers coming off of an injury and Jordan Love uh, last year had started there um, a couple of games for them at the end of the season. I, I don't think that the Giants being in a position that they, which I think they're going to go for that offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, it's that second pick and then there's a big drop off. And if they can't get in that third round, what safety do you feel may be a pick somewhere around 99 if they get that far? Um, would Kayvon Wallace from Clemson be your guy at that position? Wallace, I think, is going to go a little bit later. He's a little, he doesn't have great size. He doesn't have great speed. Wallace is a situation where it's a great, he's a real good football player but not a good athlete. Okay. I think if you're looking late in round three, even early in round four, the names to remember, remember are Brandon Jones of Texas, a guy who's a devastating hitter, who's a real good athlete, just has to learn to do different, uh, a few more different things. Maybe a Tanner Muse of Clemson, Kavon Wallace's uh, teammate, who has linebacker size at 228 pounds, very instinctive, very physical, shocked everybody by running a 4-4-1 at the Combine. Two guys to remember who are moving up draft boards, primarily in the fourth-round area for the Giants. Legereus Sneed of Louisiana Tech, Alohi Gilman of Notre Dame. These are good cover safeties. So they can play strong safety. They can play free safety. You could use them over the slot receiver. Mm -hmm. Jarius Sneed actually played cornerback at Louisiana Tech as a sophomore and junior. Did a great job of it, but they were so stacked at cornerback, they moved them inside to safety uh, this year. Six foot, a half inch, 192 pounds, ran a 4.37 at the combine. Aloha Gilman was always a solid player for Notre Dame. Had played cornerback two days during senior bowl practice. Really impressed a lot of scouts. So I think more so as you get into the uh, beginning of day three, those are two guys to keep, keep an eye on. Tony, what's your feel for that second tier of receivers and cornerbacks? I feel like there's very little consensus on the order at either of those spots. Once you get past Henderson and Okuda for the corners, once you get past Judy, Ruggs, Lamb, and Justin Jefferson for the wide receivers, that a lot of teams have very differing opinions on kind of that second tier of both spots. What's your feel talking uh, to people around the league about what the opinions are on those guys? I absolutely agree with what you said about the cornerbacks. Uh, it's Akuda, Henderson, and everyone else, and there's a lot of diversity of opinion where everyone else is going to go. The way I'm thinking right now, and I would agree, it's probably going to the next three cornerbacks off the board are going to be A.J. Terrell of Clemson, Jalen Johnson of Utah, Christian Fulton of LSU. All three of those guys could sneak into the late part of round one. You get into round two, you're talking Trevon Diggs of Alabama, uh, Noah Igbenohin of Auburn, who's moving up draft boards, good size, terrific player, Jeff Gladney of TCU, real good players, got some character issues. I think the wild card 
would be Antoine Winfield, Jr., a guy who I think and a lot of teams think can play cornerback as well as safety, although he's on a, a lot of safety boards around the league. Doesn't have great safety size, but he's smart, he's athletic, he's explosive, and like his dad, he's incredibly competitive. I, I think what you're looking at with the receiver class is you're looking at five potential first-round picks. Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, Justin Jefferson of LSU, the fifth one being Denzel Mims of Baylor, who had a good senior year, three great days of practice at the Senior Bowl, was sensational during the combine, just blew everybody away with his workouts. Then it gets a little bit, you know, crazy. It gets a little bit, uh, it depends on what you're like. It depends on what flavor you like. You got Jalen Rager of TCU, who's the speedster. You got T. Higgins of Clemson, who's more the possession type of guy. I mentioned Michael Pittman of USC, a guy that some people feel some teams have a first round grade on. There's Brandon Ayuk of uh, Arizona State, who some teams have a first-round grade on. I'm not very high on Ayuk. I think he's more second, third-round talent, but he's going to go in the second round. Uh, but even after that, Gabe Davis, LaVisca Chenault, uh, Gabe Davis of Central Florida, who I think is underrated, LaVisca Chenault, who's got injury issues, Lynn Bowden Jr., former quarterback turned receiver who can be used in the slot on the boundary, run reverses as a return specialist. So it depends on whether you want the speed guy, whether you want the big possession guy, whether you want the game-controlling guy, whether you want the guy that you can line up in the slot and, and use, to, uh, return, use as a return specialist. It depends on what you're looking for, what type of receiver you're looking for. Yeah, Tony, I've always had the opinion since we were at the Combine there was going to be a salad bar of wide receivers through the first four rounds, and I think that's the beauty of that position. But let me go back to the corners for a minute because – only half of the corners really did much of the drills at the combine. So how hard is it to really sink your teeth into the value of a bunch of these guys who didn't do those drills and then did not have the pro days and the individual workouts to show all the scouts the different numbers and the different skills that they were going to be able to uh, try to help themselves on the board? Yeah, or didn't run the 40 or ran the 40 poorly. And are not and are not going to be able to rerun, especially at a, a position like cornerback, uh, where athleticism is a premium. Granted, you always rely on the tape, but if you get a guy who maybe he's running the four sixes, like a hey, perfect example, Cameron Dantzler, Mississippi State, six two, one hundred eighty pounds, ran a four six two at the combine. Now, Cameron Dantzler, who was a junior, came into the season graded as a potential first-round pick by scouts who grade the juniors. He had a decent season, wasn't spectacular, ran poorly at the 40. What do you do with Cameron Dantzler? You know, do you go back and watch the film from 2018 where he really stood out and say, okay, that's the real Cameron Dantzler? Do you, do you figure out what happened during the 2019 season? Do you say, look at the 4-6-2 speed and you say, you know what, this is a guy who played in the SEC. He was bigger and stronger than everybody, but he's going to be exploited at the next level because he can't run. I think it's a huge variable at certain positions where athleticism is a premium. Tony, let me ask you. I want, to, I want you to put your GM hat on for a second, and uh, you're sitting there on draft day in the Giants' war room. Well, I know there's not going to be a lot of people in that war room, but there will be a lot of people on the monitors. How, do, how are you going to get a pick in that third round um, it up and because the Giants are 36 and then they go to 99. What am I going to have to do to get up into that third round? Because I feel like that's a big jump with a with a nice draft here this year, a lot of good players. That's a long ways to fall before that 99th pick after you pick at 36. You're talking about 
talking about potentially trading up? Uh, you tell me. I want you. I need a. I need. I need a number in there. How am I going to get it? How am I going to get maybe around fifty-two or fifty somewhere in there? And Tony, yeah, and, and, and and I think that you know that pick really would have uh, helped the Giants because we talked about Caesar Ruiz at the top of round two. If they don't get Caesar Ruiz, they could get a guy. Could have potentially gotten a guy like Matt Hennessy mm-hmm. at the top sure. of round three, who could play center or guard and would help the interior of that offensive line. There'll also be some good uh, offensive tackles, as we talked about. Right. It's a matter of if a player that is really highly valued on your board falls down, what are you willing to give up for him? Mm -hmm. Are you willing to give up multiple picks this year? Are you willing to give up future picks? The whole interesting dynamic of this year's draft is, we're all creatures of habit, especially in the NFL. That's why they have the combine every year. That's why the senior ball, they do the same things every year. And this, the way the war rooms specifically are going to be run this year is it, just so out of kilter. You know, a guy like Dave Gettleman, I think, has an advantage because he came up through the scouting ranks. And mm-hmm. a guy like Dave Gettleman, who really has, you know, people uh, complain about his free agency moves, he has drafted very well. Dave Gettleman can really run the draft by himself because he's used to this. So the Giants are at an advantage. I think you know it's a matter of if a highly rated, highly highly rated player falls, starts to fall into the top middle part of round three. What are you willing to get up uh, to give up to move up to get him? Is it just multiple picks this year, or is it future picks uh, in 2021? Tony, final one for me. If you do want to move down to my to your point earlier, and I agree with you, I think in number four it's going to be very difficult, and, and you can tell me if you disagree with that. But I think maybe a thirty-six that may might be a way to move down into the fifties, pick up another pick in like the eighties or something like that to get to that extra third-round selection. Do you think there might be some players available at thirty-six that other teams might really want to come up and get based on how you judge the value in that early second-round area? Absolutely. If any of those cornerbacks, uh, well, two things. Number one, if the cornerbacks go much earlier than expected, that second tier of cornerbacks, it means that some players are going to be pushed down. It could be a DeAndre Swift. It could be one of the offensive tackles. And a team may be prone to move up. If the cornerbacks don't go as early and the guys like Jalen Johnson and Christian Fulton slide into the top part of the second round, I'm sure there will be some teams that want to move up to get Mm. a cornerback or a pass rusher like Josh Uche, because what happens is with the edge rushers, it really falls off a cliff after Chase Young. I mean, there's almost a full round difference between Chase Young and the next top pass rusher on, uh, in the draft. There may be pass rushers, other pass rushers or edge rushers selected in round one, but there's a huge drop-off. So if you get guys like Josh Uche or, or somebody like that who are still available when the Giants select, and it's a very thin class of edge rushers, I'm sure there will be opportunities for teams that want to move up to get that sort of player, and the Giants could then move down and collect some extra selections. Paul, Paul, real quick, I want to follow up because you mentioned Josh Uche there, and I've mentioned him before too, and Paul's brought up, and he's absolutely right, I happen to agree with him, that he's very small to be a full-time edge rusher, but you watch him on tape, and he's a heck of a pass rusher tone. So where do you think his fit is? Is the, is the love universal for him, or is it only certain teams that like a certain type of player are going to be more interested in taking him? He's more short than he is small. He's a 6'1 and a half, but he's not a small guy. 
You go back and you watch the 2018 film. He was rotated in because uh, Michigan had so much talent on the edges, and he was a sensational explosive edge rusher. He was outstanding. Uh, he was used as more, in a more of a traditional role this year as opposed to a true edge rusher. He did a solid job, and he was terrific at senior bowl practices. That last day of practice, I was, sta- I was standing next to you in the South Alabama facility, and they had him more as an inside middle linebacker, and he was doing a great job in space. So I, I don't know if the love is universal. I will tell you this. He's going to go a lot earlier than people project. I'm hearing early second round. I got to interview uh, him at length last summer, and he is an articulate, intelligent guy. He's got his priorities straight. He's very focused on football. I mean, if he's, <clears throat> if he's two inches taller, he's probably a first-round pick. If Michigan used him correctly or used, used him to their fullest extent because they really kind of hedged on him as to what they did with him, I, I think uh, he's also a, a potential first-round pick. Uche is going to go in the early part of round two. Tony, my final question goes back to a moment ago when you were talking about possible trades and do you trade something from next year. I wonder how general managers view the value of next year's draft picks because there may not even be an NCAA college season this fall. They may have one. They may not have one. They may move it to the spring of 2021. We don't know. So suddenly, don't next year's draft choices now become a big question mark as to what value they're really going to hold because you don't even know if you're going to for sure get to see these college players on tape for one more season? I'm sure you know it's got to be a consideration, but you're still going to have a draft. You're still going to be selecting players, and you're still going to be selecting good players. Whether you're selecting them off of 2020 film, spring of 2021 film, or even – you know, the 2019 film, you're going to have a basis uh, to draft these guys. And I'm sure before the 2021 uh, draft, there will be more individual workouts, pro day workouts, okay. more top 30 visits, which is very important for the exam. So I, I think that's something that would have to be as part of the conversation. Do we want to accept a, a selection in 2021 to move down? Uh, and, you know, we don't know the situation in 2021. But still, you're going to have a draft. You're going to be selecting players, and you just got to go based on your own instinct. Tony, we really appreciate the time, my friend. Real quick, give me your prediction for the Giants at four and then at 36. You know, I, I think I had him in my mock draft taking Tristan Wirfs uh, at number one. I think it's going to be either Tristan Wirfs or Andrew Thomas, one of those two players. Uh, I, I think it fits needs, and I, I, I think they're both outstanding players. We talked about them at length when I, when I sat down with you at the Combine. And in round two of my mock draft, I have them taking Caesar Wee. So, you know, the offensive line, throughout the offensive line, is, has been an issue for the Giants. I think they can get real healthy on the offensive line this year with two outstanding prospects. Tony, enjoy the draft time, my friend. Thank you, Thank you so much, and uh, let's talk real soon, okay, pal? Stay safe. Be Thank well. you, guys. Thanks again for having me. Oh, absolutely. Tony Pauline, Pro Football Network. Make sure you check him out. Does a great job. Find him on Twitter as well. He's fantastic. Um, just does a great job. And Paul, he's one of our friends of the program. All right, before we get to our draft takes for tonight, guys, anything that stuck out to you from what Tony had to say? No, I think he has a brilliant mind. Two good, really good minds think alike as far as those first two picks. <laughs> uh, but I, I, it's funny because, um, Paul, you had sent me 
uh, the link to his where he's at. And I was on there this morning checking it out. And when I pulled up his mock draft, it was like Christmas to me. I'm like, wait a second. This looks really good from here. And, Jeff, by the way, when, Jeff, when Paul Lance and I did our final mock draft yesterday, mm-hmm. we wound up with Worfs and Ruiz at, at 4 and 36. Very good. And you know what? I, I, I'm okay with I, – I also believe, um, you know, that's those are fine. I don't know if, if he's going to be there, uh, the center. Ruiz, I think that's how he's pronounced his name. I, I don't think him. he will be, by the way. I really yeah, I don't. don't either. But I'm okay with Hennessy, the the kid from Temple. How about Cushenberry? Would you go with him too? I I would. Either one of those, I'd be okay with. I I like the fact that Cushenberry, just because he plays in the SEC, um, and you know Hennessy is down the road. He's a local guy from Temple. Um, but I I either one of those, I just got to have a center. That's with me, guys. It's, I have to have a center. I mean, other than that, then. You know, whatever. Paul, your take from that interview. <laughs> uh, no, you know, most of what Tony talked about is a lot of stuff that, that we've been talking about sure. already. And, of course, we had him at the Combine in Indy, so so I kind of know how he thinks. Yeah. He's an old-school guy, and he and I usually match up pretty darn well, although I have Thomas for the Giants at four, and I think he's, he's leaned more towards Worfs. Um, I think the, the one thing that, you know, we discussed about in terms of trades, you know, I – I think he's right. I do think that there's been a drop in value for some of the guys that we all assumed were going to be targets for trades in this draft. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that he's correct in saying that. But I, I also am of the belief, even though Dave Gettleman said that GMs are going to try to get the foundation and the framework for trades done before the draft starts. Look, what did we see on ESPN yesterday? Roger Goodell was supposed to be on a video call uh, on ESPN in the morning with the uh, uh, Greenberg show, right? And what happened? They came back from commercial. They had technical difficulties. He did not get on the video call to the point where Greenberg had a stall, and then Goodell, the commissioner, had to get on the phone and do a phone interview with him. And then you had Diana Rossini, who was supposed to do a video uh, with uh, the Sports Center people. And she couldn't get the audio to work. There are glitches here that are happening. And I know the IT people. I respect them. I'm sure that they're all doing the best they can to make this thing run smoothly. But I have to tell you, John, I, I, I have to believe there are going to be glitches. And that's going to affect teams trying to make deals. And especially as you get later on in the draft, maybe not as high, but later on in the draft when they're supposed to be making picks quickly. This thing is going to be haywire. Hey, look, I think people are going to be understanding. I do think this is going to be the longest draft under this format because teams will take the full clock in order to make their picks happen. And quite frankly, I would not be surprised if we get to the end of the second round and the NFL just says, hey, guys, you know what? We can't make this five minutes. It's just not going to work. So let's just make it. I'm serious. And, you know, maybe they have to leave it at seven minutes for the rest of the draft. Who knows? So, Well, John, didn't they already say if somebody does have a technical glitch, they're going to take it into account. And if they believe yeah. it's a reasonable glitch, they'll stop the clock. Yeah. Look, I don't think they intend to stop the clock. But, look, I think everyone understands here, mm-hmm. even when it comes to the television broadcast, right, the way they're doing this thing, that this there are going to be issues. I mean, it's just the way the world works. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just the way it is. So, to me... Uh, I think there is going to be some flexibility. They said specifically if teams are trying to complete a trade and all the paperwork necessary to get that done and they need to stop the clock for that, they will. Mm -hmm. So to me, yeah, I think there'll be a glitch or two, and I think that's fine. I think people get it. 
And look, I'm sure there'll be a couple teams around the league that says, oh, you can't let this team do that. That's not fair. But I think in the end, people understand the flexibility that's necessary to pull this off, and, and they'll be given that flexibility is my guess. Yeah, I think I think every team is going to have somewhat of a contingency plan. You have to, right, if something does happen. Yeah, just get on the phone. And look, I think every team, in addition to the video stuff, are going to be on a conference call with the league on a landline. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And Because, you know, the the... the it's easier for things to happen through the internet and things like that rather than the phone line. So I, f I feel like it's, it, that's the fallback. I think it'll be okay. There's going to be some glitches, but I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to be different. And believe it, there are people that are going to love to watch live something this, this tonight. Oh, this you is know gonna, what I mean? This is I mean gonna we break, are thriving for that. This is going to break ratings records. What are you oh, kidding my goodness. me? Yeah. It's just going to be really exciting, and and and, I, and they're they're also going to be raising money tonight for a lot of good causes, which is going to be really outstanding for people. Very true. Um, and it's just going to be an overall a, a different evening, but a real NFL live draft. Hey, one awesome. warning to every GM out there, and I know they're all listening to the program, of course John, they because are. Yeah. we are at the top of NFL.com's uh, audio production, uh, guys. Keep the coffee away from all keyboards. Okay, <laughs> no. that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah. All right. You so, know what? I tell you what, I, uh, Paul or John, just real, real quick. Yeah, one ahead. thing about Tony that I thought was really, um, really, I think he hit on it um, is the fact about Dave Gettleman and being in the, you know, being brought up as a as a, a personnel guy that he could have a distinct advantage over some of these you know, GMs that really haven't been there before in case they've got to be on the clock and do something real quickly. He's not going to be afraid to do it because he's done his homework and he's ready to go. He has experience in this. Yeah, I agree. And look, this is going to be a scout's draft. That's what everyone keeps saying, right? So, well, mm -hmm. all right. So here's what we're going to do, folks. We decided we all have th thoughts on what's going to happen in the draft about the Giants in the draft. So, uh, this is our final chance to get it in. Let's try to avoid round two and round three stuff because we have time tomorrow to talk about that, right? Mm -hmm. So let's stick to round one here. Thoughts on the NFL draft, guys. And I'm going to start here with the Giants at four because I think it's the responsible thing to do. And, Paul, this is something that we've debated all spring and, and all winter where what's the top four offensive tackles in this class? And, frankly, I've given up trying to rank them. Because I've changed my mind so many times over the course of the last couple of months. And to me, I, I, I have a hard time arguing with any of the four. I think there are good arguments for all of them. You know, Mekhi Becton might be a little bit raw, but it's just his physical stature and athleticism. I see the upside. I get it. Andrew Thomas, the steady play at left tackle in the SEC. How can you argue with that? Jedrick Wills, the combination of, of athleticism, measurements, and his tape and his fundamentals and his nastiness. I think he can move to, to the left side, but he's been great on the right side. How could you argue with that? Tristan Wirfs blew up the combine. Uh, Brian Broaddus, who we've had on before, former scout, compared him to us to Walter Jones. Uh, he played right tackle and some left tackle for Iowa at the end of the season. Um, there are things that all these guys are really good at. There are some things that they need to improve a little bit at, but I think there's an argument for any of them, and I think the beauty in, in, a, lot, in a lot of ways is in the eye of the beholder in terms of which guy you would prefer. And I sit here, and whichever one the Giants pick, I get it, and I wouldn't have a problem with it. I think Becton might be a little risky for my taste, but the other three guys, and here's the thing. I think Giant fans have been spooked. They've seen the failures in drafting offensive linemen over the past seven, eight years. And I don't know how many tweets I've gotten. Oh, you're going to draft Eric Flowers 2.0. If you compare this group to Eric Flowers, you're not paying attention. And no. you, you don't know anything about these guys. 
Because right now, all three of these guys, and that I'm talking about, Werfs, Wills, and Thomas, are all more technically sound than Eric Flowers was in his third year with the Giants. Okay? That's how much more sound they are than him as a player. So... That is not a fair comparison. I think all three of those guys are relatively safe picks. I think the downside of Tristan Wirfs, if everything goes bad, is all pro guard. And when all pro guard is your downside, that's a pretty good downside, okay? So that's how I look at it. I still have it Wills, Thomas, Wirfs, Becton. That's my order. But again, I change my mind every other day. I think all the guys are really good players, and they will be starters at offensive tackle in the league for a very, very long time. Well, John, I will say this. I've discussed it on this program now for the last couple of days, and I was on WFAN yesterday on my spot, and I've littered the entire airwaves uh, talking about why I think Andrew Thomas makes the most sense for the Giants. Again, lowest floor, most pro-ready, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, most experience at left you mean You mean highest time. floor. You mean highest floor. Highest floor, highest floor. Yeah, yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. Highest floor. See, I'm, I'm already getting confused now because <laughs> I've talked about it so much. It's like it's echoing in my head, uh, you know, Pro-style offense, uh, everything about him. I, to me, he's the smartest pick for the Giants, but you can't go wrong because basically they're choosing between pasta, pizza, chicken parm. You, you can't go wrong. You really can't. These are all delicious dishes in front of you. Now, here's the one thing I will say. And by the way, I will say this too, Paul, just very quickly. None, none of the three of us here are offensive line coaches or experts. No, we're, we're really not. not. So no, we're, we're, do, not. we're doing the best we can. And if you go, guys, and find it on the Giants Huddle podcast, I did a 50-minute conversation, not 15, 50, 5-0, with O'Hara and Deal. And the stuff that they said about, especially the, the, the three guys at the top we're talking about, Worfs, Wills, and Thomas, they basically said they think all three are going to be terrific players for a yeah. lot of different reasons. Yeah. So here's what I will say. I, I think that if you go by the best player available component, you could make an argument that Simmons, you probably could make an argument that if Okuda should be there, that he would be probably rated higher than the tackles. And you might even say, maybe, and Tony Pauline alluded to this, there's a possibility that on Dave Gettleman's board, Derek Brown might even be a notch, just a little millimeter ahead of all these tackles, too. Sure. If you were to say best player available. Yeah. And we okay? Don't know, we don't know that. No, we don't we know, don't know that. that board. But I think we do know the quality of those players based on the consensus that those guys are all top 10 guys for sure. Do we not agree? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So having said that, in my opinion, the, the fans especially, now the Giants may not see it this way, but the fans especially are going to scream out for need. And if they were to take a Derek Brown or a Jeffrey Okuda, I do believe that the fans would probably get upset. Because they would say, well, you've got players, you got a bunch of corners, you got a, you got a bunch of defensive tackles. Why didn't you take one of the, the positions that you needed more? Why didn't you take the linebacker because you badly could use a, a dynamic impact player on D? And you, why didn't you take an offensive tackle because you badly need somebody to protect Daniel Jones and to help out Saquon Barkley? So of the four, if you, if you want to put A, B, C, and D on the table, all four of those spots probably have value at their selection. The problem is only two of the four actually have need to the degree where you would want to pick them. 
And I think that's what makes this so intriguing. And that's why there are going to be people, fans out there, who are going to poo-poo the pick, no matter who it is. There are going to be fans who are going to poo-poo it based on what they perceive to be the Giants' biggest need. And they're going to ignore the fact that value-wise, you could make a good case for any of them. Well, I've got I got some takes here. I, I want to get your guys' opinion on them, and I'm just gonna I'm writing I'm writing them down to see how they're going to if they're going to come to fruition. But one at a time, I, Jeff. Sure. Well, at the offensive tackle, I you know we can't forget about Josh Jones either. I think he's a guy that has not been talked about a lot. I mean, we 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 interviewed the guy from Houston. He was very high on him. I think that these I think there's going to be a run of tackles in the top twenty. I think five of these guys go in the top twenty. That's going to be my my pick right there. I'm just. I have a feeling of it. So um, the other one is I believe that the wide receiver class, the rankings are off quite a bit when you talk to people. I mean, outside of, of CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, then the, the and Ruggs, after that, I think it's, it's a toss-up. I mean, you heard um, – you know, Michael Pittman kind of skyrocketing up the up the board, and both John and I like this guy a lot. Um, I think the wide receivers, we're going to see that it's kind of a mixed bag as far as where these guys land, but I think there's going to be a lot of them go. The other one is that what I love what Tony had said about the cornerbacks. Jeff, what are, t- I said one at a time. Let us no, comment, I'm just Jeff. Give you these other ones. Just <laughs> get, all right, let me just go through them, and then we'll go over Okay, uh, I was a little long-winded myself. If there's a run myself. on those cord- cornerbacks <laughs> at the end of the first round, then – we could get excited about maybe what the Giants could get as far as a player that they maybe could draft for need and that one of their good players at 36. It might happen. You never know. Um, and then here's and then I'll, and then I'll close. I'll, I'll wait for this one because I have a big I have a bomb here that I'm going to throw okay. on you guys. Oh, that's a tease. I like that. Wait. Okay, so well, I'll get to that last if you guys want to comment on. Yes, any of those. Uh, on the offensive tackles, the way I see this class, Jeff, I think you're going to have two separate runs. I think you're going to have that run on the top four. Because okay. I think it's pretty universal that, that there's a top four, and then there's a little bit of a gap. So I think uh, those— well, Where do the top four go? Do the top four go in the top 20? Yeah, in my opinion, let me, let me bring up the draft order here. I think the top four will be gone in the top 14. I do not believe that you are going to see um, the fourth offensive tackle get past the Bucks at pick 14. And I think there's a chance, there's a chance now, that a team trades up ahead of Tampa at 14 to draft one of those offensive tackles. So I think all four of those guys will be done at 14, and then I think there's going to be a run on that next set. And I think the next four guys is Austin Jackson, Josh Jones, um, Isaiah Wilson, and Ezra Cleveland. And I think you're going to see a run on those guys start somewhere in the 20s where that next group of teams like, oh, I better get that next group of offensive tackles because I think you have another drop after that next four guys. Paul. Okay. Well, I mean, we've talked about this now since uh, Indianapolis. Uh, I think that second group, hopefully at the top of the second round for a bunch of teams who don't get one of the top four, yeah. is Jones and Cleveland uh, and Jackson. I mean, I, I think we've all kind of settled on the fact that the four and the three are going to constitute the top seven. And it I, should... I don't think anybody else is getting into the Paul, top seven. It certainly sounds like Isaiah Wilson might be in there. People, again, I'm just going off reports that I'm reading that NFL teams are very high on him. Well, there's certainly a lack of athleticism there. But he is a bull. He's a moose. And again, I... Now, I, I, do, honestly, do you know why Isaiah Wilson reminds me of watching him? He reminds me a little bit of Eric Flowers. Well, that's, that's and to some degree. I mean, look at his frame physically. Yeah. I understand that. 
you know, I, I kind of thought to me that he would be much more of a late second round into early third round kind of projection. And I agree with that. Um, but that's just me. Uh, I I like Niang. You heard me bring Niang up to, to, to Pauline. Hey, if Niang is there at 99, I'm telling you right now, fellas, you're going to have to hold me back because I'm, I'm running to, to click the, the mouse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I think Niang is, is absolutely a bona fide, legitimate future starter in this league. I think he's better suited at right tackle than he is at left tackle. And could you see in 2021 or 2022 – Maybe the Giants having the number four guy uh, left tackle and Niang at right tackle. I mean, all of a sudden now, you're talking about having a, a, a situation of bookends taken care of for the next, what, 10 years? Yeah, hopefully. You would hope. I like it. I like it. So uh, Okay, see, see now, Jeff, here's the thing. I already forgot what your second take was. That no, we it's were about the wide receivers. On. I think uh, other, than the top, <laughs> other than the top three, I think those can go, and I think that Jerry Judy's yeah. probably the highest rated than CeeDee Lamb and maybe then Ruggs. After that, I, I just feel like so many people have so many guys ranked differently. You know, I feel yeah. like Justin Jefferson is a guy that could go higher than or lower than people think, and some guys could rise up and some guys could rise down. I just think it's just a, a you know mixed bag after the top three. Well, I think it's something that Paul spoke about the other day, how the, the league now is so specialized. You're not just picking a wide receiver. I think you're picking a specific type of wide receiver, right? And I do think there's a really nice mix of different wide receivers in this mm-hmm. group. So if you want a big guy, then maybe you're looking for a Pittman or a T. Higgins or a CeeDee Lamb. If you want a route runner, then you're looking at, you know, that maybe you want in the slot a little bit. You're looking more at the Jerry Judys and Justin Jeffersons. If you want a speed guy, you're looking at Henry Ruggs. You're looking at Jalen Rager, guys like that. So I think it's a real nice mix of um, different types of guys. And I think, Jeff, to your point, that's why I think teams think about these guys differently because I yeah, think different teams and different coaches value different types you. of receivers I, yeah. differently. It's, it's a salad bar, guys. French, yeah. Russian, blue cheese, Italian. What dressing do you want? Yeah, what, it's all what there. dressing do you want, and what dressing addresses <laughs> what dressing addresses your needs? That's what what it is here. How many the, how many uh, receivers in the in the first round, guys? Over under five, five and a half. I would say over under five and a half, and I would go. That's a tough one. I think the record is seven in 2004 from what I remember. I would, go, I would go over, but I think it might be exactly five. It's either going to be five or six in my opinion. See, gotcha. the value is certainly there to make it over, but mm-hmm. because people are going to probably wait and delay thinking they can get them later, I think it's probably going to be five. But yeah. I could easily see at least seven or eight being worth those slots. Sure. Yeah. What do you think, Jeff? Over or under five and a half? I, I think it's right at that number. I, I, I would go oh, over just go. because I think it's going to be six. Um, don't I don't think it'll be seven. I don't think it'll be five. How about this same game? Over, under, offensive linemen, including centers, that will go in the first round. I'll put the over, under at seven. Over. Wow. Over. Wow. I got five, I got five, five tackles going in the first round that's so that's and then if we get throw two more centers in there there's not going to be two more centers Ruiz is probably the only one the question is or is it going to be six is tackle. it, it going to be six or seven offensive uh, tackles that's the that's the whole deal to yep. John and you know this because we both heard a lot about Ezra Cleveland moving up because of his technique and his athleticism yep his and, his and combine if, helped him a lot it really did he was terrific at the combine so if he sneaks up to become the sixth tackle now you're going to get the seven because I think Ruiz sneaks into the bottom of the first round as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can't go over. 
I can't. I, I, so I'd probably say the odds are under. If you're okay. going to go with seven, I'll say the odds are under because Cleveland's the swing guy who may not make it. All right, what do you guys think about Miami's intentions? Are they picking a quarterback, or do you think they're just, or, or do you think they're actually going to take an offensive tackle there? And do you think they're going to trade? Um, I think they're going to take a tackle, and they're going to try to get that quarterback later down. Just you know, Love, what number do they have? Is it drops down to? Yeah, Jordan Love. Yeah, I th- I think that that's that's what I think they're going to try to do. Um, which you know, come back to me when you guys are done because this has Tra- to do with my. Bomb. And by the way, Charlie Casserly had that in his in his in his only mock draft at NFL. dot com. Mm-hmm. He had the Dolphins taking Jordan Love late, which I thought was interesting. Okay. Mm. I could totally see that. It makes a lot of sense to me. The flip side to it is that they feel as though they've got to go get Herbert because they just love his skill set and his toolbox. And, and I understand that because I'm in the camp that thinks that Herbert has the best tools of the quarterbacks in this draft. So I certainly understand it. Um, all, right, all right, Paul, you're up now. Give me your opinion or take or whatever you think is going to happen tonight, and, 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 and then we'll move on to Jeff's bomb. <laughs> Go deep. What do I think is going to happen tonight? No, 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 no. Look, I said we're going to take turns. Just give me, like, one opinion you have on the draft or take or something like that, and then me and Jeff will comment on it. I suspect in the next several hours before this thing starts, we're going to see more names come out from that failed drug test. That's what I think is going to happen. Oh, there you go. There's We've your seen bomb. already, apparently, Mikhail Becton already – his name came out a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. and although they say that the teams already knew it and they talked to him about it and it's really not maybe a whole lot to do, well, it is a whole lot to do because it points to character of a guy. You know, he can explain away whatever he wants to explain away. If there was any possibility of a failed test, it points to decision-making yeah, and I, it points and I, to lifestyle. I, how long ago was that? I just, you know, the only reason I ask this is because I look at— It was at the Combine, Jeff. No, 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 no. That's he. When I know he tested at the combine. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Like, uh, I know that it was. So let me ask you a question. It, he tested positive at the combine. That's what they said. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That's what and I meant. Supposedly, about the there's though. a list. There's a list of a bunch of guys, mm. and I haven't seen a list that indicates all the other names. I have not seen a list that indicates how many. Just that Becton was one of several. And I suspect in the next several hours, we will probably get a couple more of those names. Now, Paul, the interesting thing and is don't that— don't be shocked if they drop out of the first round. Well, the, that, that was going to be my next question for you then. Will teams care as much about it because the program is much more lenient with the new CBA? Correct. Yes. Uh, ah, yes. You could also go to the flip side and say, well, because we didn't have pro days and we didn't have personal visits and interviews, we could not do all the investigation that we wanted to do on these guys, and we didn't have a chance to let them try to explain themselves out of it. Well, it didn't stop Larry Tunsil from being an all-pro, uh, you know, it a did pro not. player. It so. did not. But anyway, <laughs> I look, whatever happens, whatever the effects are of names coming out, I suspect we're going to see a few names in the next couple of hours. All right, John, you ready for mine? Drop it. Okay. I, first of all, I think that um, Herbert is a better quarterback than Tua. Okay? I just think that is. So, But here's the thing. I have a feeling that the New England Patriots are up to something with this quarterback situation, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots climb up the board to get one of these quarterbacks somehow in some way. I know it's not a huge bomb, but just I'm just kind of one thing that I wrote down this morning when I was thinking that could you could scratch your head or go wow, this could be something. I mean, listen, Tom Brady left there, um, you know they're they're in need of a quarterback. And I think this could be maybe something they could do. What now, do you guys the, think? now the trick with that, Jeff, is that they don't have a second round pick this year. No. So if they want, now they have three threes. 
So if they want to make that move, they're going to have to dip into their 2021 draft capital, which is possible. I'm not saying they're not going to do it. But I think if Tua drops to around the 8, 9, 10-ish area, I could definitely see a team like the Patriots or Saints maybe, someone like that, moving up to go get him. That wouldn't shock me. I'm not saying go way, way up to get him. That's my. I should have prefaced that by saying if he does drop down there, then I think New England may take a flyer and go up and try to get him. Jeff, are you only of the opinion that it's going to be one of the quarterbacks who drops, or do you think that Bill Belichick may call his old buddy Joe Judge Mm -hmm. at four and say, can we get Gettleman on the phone because I really want to make a splash and get one of the guys up top? I don't think they have the capital to do it. Well, it would involve next year's number one for sure. Well, at least. At least. No question. I don't think that's likely to happen. But since Jeff is bridging I, the, the topic about yeah, the know, Patriots going for one, I'm asking you, do, is that something that's crossed just, your mind? I just think, you, and I think you guys will agree with me, I just haven't heard enough about something like that yet, right? I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't think that they would go up that high to get it because of what, they just don't have anything to give back. Um, well, don't, don't ever think that secrecy involving the Patriots means it's not happening. Well, <laughs> I mean, especially now, Bill right? Bel- <laughs> that's Bill Belichick's middle name, okay? But, <laughs> especially now. I mean, uh, who knows? Yeah, maybe this is it. Although, I said it the other day, I think history repeats itself, and the Dave Gettleman just stays in that. He stays at four, doesn't do anything, going to get his guy he wants. I agree with tackle. you. Well, I think, I, think he would lo- I think he would try to move down. I just don't think he's going to have a taker for him. I'm with, I'm with both of you. Or and he may good. have a taker, be... but not enough to want him to no. do it. He's going to make the pick at four. I think that's what's, what's going to happen. All right, do you guys want to go through a couple more questions, or Paul, do you have one or two things you want to say before no, we, let's, let's before move we get on. to the questions? Let's okay. get some questions. Here we go. Okay, um, i got a couple comments and questions, and a lot of them are draft-related, so I just want to make sure I get to them. Um, all right, here's an interesting trade situation. Um, well, I guess we kind of talked about that already. Um, how about I do this? Uh, somebody asked specifically, if the Giants go – well, that's a second-round question. I want to ask that one either. I want to save that one for tomorrow. Here we go. Steven. This is Woody and Walton here. Calls from time to time. Um, he said, by the way, he said he's just getting over um, COVID-19. He had it. It's no joke. He said, be very careful, but he's feeling good now, which is great. Thumbs up. Yes. Um, he <clears throat> believes the marriage between need and value can meet up pretty well for the Giants in their first couple of picks so we can finally shore up the offensive line. Protection for Daniel Jones, blocking for Saquon Barkley. I understand we need defensive guys, but without a good offensive line, our two most important players can never reach their potential. And I think, uh, Woody, that's a really good point because I think that kind of goes to the team-building part of this. Mm-hmm. And we haven't addressed Isaiah Simmons yet, Paul, so I think this would be a good time to do it on this particular show. While he's obviously an excellent defensive player, he would help the defense a lot, as me, you, and Lance talked a little bit about yesterday. He's not somebody you plug in and he completely changes the nature of your defense the way a number one edge rusher would or, or even uh, a number one corner that can take away half of the field. I don't think he's that type of impact player necessarily that can turn a real struggling defense into a great one just by putting him into the lineup. You know what I mean? I understand. He's 100%. not Lawrence Taylor. He's right. more along the Jesse Armstead level of player. And the thing is, you don't change your entire defensive scheme and set up for a lesser player. You could do it for Lawrence Taylor because he's truly a generational player and you can build an entire defense around him. But what people don't understand, and Dave Gettleman made this clear last week, John, and it's what got me off of Simmons, one of the many reasons I finally turned the table and decided to go for the tackle. 
when Dave Gettleman said, you know, they're using these guys in college in all these different ways and the versatility, et cetera, et cetera. They got to win games. Great. But now you have to project and fit how he's going to be for you. How's he going to be the perfect fit for the New York Giants? Well, here's the thing. If you were to draft Isaiah Simmons, and look, if they take him, it's it's going to be still a great player, and I'm sure they'll find a way to make it work. But right now, as I look at it, if you take Simmons, you say to yourself, okay, how much is he truly going to max out given what the Giants have on their defense today? And that's part of the problem because if you decide that you're going to make him a generational player and design a defense around him, well, that means all the other parts that need to work in unison with him have to be there. I don't think the Giants are far enough, defensively speaking, that they can say that. And quite frankly, as we have said on the other programs, John, he is not strong enough to go head up against an offensive tackle, even on a semi-regular basis. That's not what you want him to do. Correct. And so, to me, the Giants don't have the perfect fit to max out Isaiah Simmons' potential. And I want to make it clear, I think he easily could be the best player on the board at number four. But I don't think the fit is the best fit. Mm. Figs? Well, I I just think... And you, I just think that there's too many other players. I know that Simmons is a great player. I know he's so athletic and he can do so many different things. But I still feel like there's just so many other players that can do the same thing. Maybe not as good, okay? That's why I believe that you did the tackle position, to me, is a more of a longevity. You can get you 10 years out of that position. And more than that, Jeff. You might get 12 or 13. You might. You got him, you know. So I just feel, and that's what I'm all about. I'm, I'm, I'm about developing that offensive line into something that's consistent for years to come and developing those two players that mentioned Jones and Saquon. That is why I've I've gone where I have gone. Yeah. And to me, guys, I think defense, and I think Jeff makes a good point. Like, like Derwin James is a player that can do what Isaiah Simmons can do, right? For, for more or less, you know, I think Darius Leonard to a certain extent can do some of the things that Simmons can do. And again, maybe not all the things, maybe not as well, but I do think those players are more readily available. Like Corey Littleton was is a great coverage linebacker. He was available in Frangie this year. He John, got, I'll say this. Yeah. If Simmons is used as a blitzer in the way that I would want to use him, he's a guaranteed double-digit sacks and maybe getting 13 or 14 a year. I really believe that. And the guys you're talking about are not that player. Yeah, but I don't think you can use a player and blitz him that often anymore in in, in the back well, again, half of the defense. Not Certainly not in the 3-4. Not the way the Giants play a 3-4. You can't do it. Right. I don't know. I, I, I have trouble picking a guy just because he's going to be an off-ball blitzer. I have trouble picking a guy in the in, in the top five with that envisioned as his as his biggest role because I think his biggest I think his his biggest strength is coverage so you're taking him out of coverage which is what I think he does best by and I think this and I think this discussion Paul that we're having right now because both of us are making fair points gives the risk factor here and so many people have said to me oh but these offensive linemen can bust Simmons is a safe pick Simmons mm. is not that safe of a pick. No. Not that he's not a great athlete, a great player, but the role is such a question in how you use him that I think it does artificially create some risk when you pick a player that way. Well, again, as you said it earlier, a lot of people are just afraid of what happened with Eric Flowers for them to commit to another offensive lineman like this, and that's sad. <laughs> it's really sad. You know what's funny about this whole draft, too? And we have done it. We have never 
I mean, very rarely have we talked about Joe Burrow just because, you know, but I mean, I was trying to get it real quickly. How, how you think these guys, this guy's going to do in the league this year? I think all the rookies are going to struggle in their rookie year because of the mm-hmm. remote learning situation, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I think Joe Burrow is going to be a very good quarterback because I think he does all the little things well, even though he's not like, you know, the most dynamic athlete, the most dynamic arm strength. I think he just does everything so well mentally, and he was in a pro-style offense in LSU that I think a lot of that stuff will translate in long term. He'll be a pretty darn good quarterback. He'll yeah. be good. I agree. He's going to yeah. be good. He's smart. I think he's got a good acumen for the game. Um, he's and they all go through gr- growing pains, right? All of them do. So especially in, in especially in Cincinnati. <laughs> all right, Corey in Texas. Couple more questions, guys, real quick. Um, this is my dream draft for the Giants. Uh, do you see any picks that are not reasonable or good fits? And this is kind of the names he gives to us. Um, he picks Simmons at four. I, well, he trades down to six with the Chargers. Pick Simmons there. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen, but fine. Um, 36 and 37 because he picked up the Chargers too. He is Epinesa and Austin Jackson. Uh, do you? I don't think either of those players will be there. Do either of you think both or either of Epinesa or Jackson will be there at the top of round two? I don't think Epinesa will. No. I don't think Jackson will either, to be honest with you. I think of the two that have, would have the propensity to be there if they would, would be the, the, the latter of the two. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, Corey gets a little greedy. He is Willie Gay at 99, which I don't think is going to happen. Uh, Biadas, the center from Wisconsin at 110. I don't think he's going to be there. Devin DuVernay all the way at 183. And Sadiq Charles all the way at 218. Uh, I don't think those guys will necessarily be around um, in those spots. One other question, guys. Uh, Truth AI asks, uh, in years past, Gettleman has done whatever it's taken to get in the guys he wants. What do you think, if he makes a trade in this draft, when or where will it take place? <laughs> I think, unfortunately, despite the interest of moving down from four, I think they're going to stand pat for various reasons and if they're going to make any kind of deal, it's probably going to involve the 36 trying to uh, move down with some combination that's going to uh, fill in the black hole between 36 and 99 because we all know that that is an awful long time to wait. Yeah. It's a marathon, and I don't think in a draft that's so fruitful in the first four rounds that you really want to wait that long. I'm with Paul. I agree 100%. Jeff? I, I, I think that just – because of the way the draft is going to work, not not with the virtual thing, just if, if players start moving down um, and you get a player that's on your board that you really want to get, I think you could sacrifice some of those 238, 218 picks to try to get, get up and get one of those guys that you want. And I think that, that that probably comes anywhere between 99 and 150. Somewhere in there, if the Giants are looking for a player that they really want to get, and they have to sacrifice some of those later 200 picks to give them up, maybe Jeff, next year or something to go get them. I think Jeff, it's in, I got to be that, honest with you area. though, the the, the seventh rounders, the only thing you do for, for for seventh rounder, the only value they really hold for anybody, those are throwing picks. If you're trying to make a bigger deal up closer to the top of the draft, or they wind up being a pick where a team has a fringe player on their roster already and they're just looking to get rid of his contract, and it's like, look, the guy's a fringe player anyway. Just take his whatever dollar amount he is and get him off my roster. 
those seventh rounders, you could package all three of those seventh rounders. Actually, there's four of them, and you're not even going to get an inflated kickball for them. (laughs) Seriously, you're just not. No, I understand it. I'm just I'm saying that that there if I'm going to call where something's going to be made, it's going to be between that 99 and 110. That's somewhere you know 199 to 150. Something's going to have to happen in there. I don't know how they're going to get it, but. They need to get up there. I think you, you know? do it by training down from 36, Jeff, and I think yeah, you pick up that, that extra three. I like the one we talked about the other day, trying to get to 50, right? Was it 51 with the Dolphins or something? Or no, Chargers? What was it? Yeah, it was with the Dolphins. Dolphins, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I had, suggest- I had suggested the Dolphins because I think from the Jimmy Johnson value chart that there is a reasonable move to be made with the Dolphins considering uh, the second and third rounds. But But I couldn't find anything else that truly made mathematical sense. Now, of course, the other part of this is, would you make a deal with somebody involving a pick and a player? That doesn't happen the very same often. Thing. Right. I but was just happen. thinking the same thing. Well, it and, could happen. And here's another question. And this from uh, There's a couple of really first-round specific questions I want to make sure we get to you guys. I'm sorry for going a little bit long, but I want to make sure we get all the questions in. Um, given the Giants' dilemma between take Simmons or an offensive tackle at four, what do you think about taking Simmons at four and then using your 2021 first-round pick to move up and getting one of the other four top offensive tackles as well with either the Panthers or Jaguars who are kind of in the middle of a long-term rebuild and might be looking for capital for next year's draft for either Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. So you guys thought about maybe dipping into 2021 to potentially make a move this year. Gettleman does not like to trade future picks like that. He's more apt to acquire a pick from next year than he is to give one up. But does the unique nature, and you asked this question to Tony Paul, of next year's draft, does that maybe change the equation? I wondered, and Tony didn't seem to think that it did, did he? He didn't. Especially, I don't think the the first rounders. I think those guys are going to be good players regardless. You know what I'm saying? Well, the question is, Jeff, here's the question. Let's say you get to pick number 13, right? And... One of those offensive tackles are, are left, and you really like them. Do you go and call that team and say, I'm going to give you pick 36 and next year's one, and I get to pick my offensive tackle at 13? Yeah, it's, 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 it's really uh, – I, I think you gotta, you got to really want that guy. And if you, if you weren't able to get him at four and you, and you wanted to, but all of a sudden your, your draft board says that Simmons is better than your tackle, then, yeah, I do it. And by the way, John, I should mention we didn't say it a couple of moments ago when you referred to the potential deal. Uh, for folks who did not listen to yesterday's show, the deal we were talking about was the Giants at 36 for Miami's 56 and 70. Yep. That was the one that we thought we talked about that I thought made some mathematical sense. No, I'm with you. All right, Sandy, I have read that the Giants staff will not be able to draft in their facility. Is this true? Um, if they can keep social distancing in a large room. Well, Sandy, they want to have all these teams to be on an even playing field for this. So Dave Gettleman will be at his house. Uh, Ty Siam, who's one of the Giants' uh, directors of technology on the football side, he'll be there with him to help solve any problems. And pretty much every single NFL team is in the same situation. Um, if you guys read, the Lions have some like IT guy in a Winnebago outside of Bob Quinn's house. <laughs> I didn't ready see to that. move. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. They, they have parked one of their IT guys in a Winnebago outside of the GM's house. So if there's any issues, you can charge in and, and fix any problems they might have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just well, picturing Christmas vacation. <laughs> Bob, this Bob is a question for our reporter's mock draft. When poor Schwartz made the fourth overall pick, he picked Simmons. But then later on in the week, he picked um, 
an offensive tackle in his New York post draft. He doesn't understand why, and he's calling out Paul a little bit. And it's funny, when I did that draft, Paul picked Simmons, and I got him on the phone for pick 36 about a week later when I finally got all the picks done. And Paul looked back, he saw who was left on the board. He's like, oh boy, I should have picked an offensive tackle, huh? And I think that really kind of changed his thinking as to what to do in the first round because he wanted to make sure um, what to do. Um, he wanted to make sure he got an offensive tackle um, at some point in this draft. So I got one more thing here, guys. Bob wants to know, and this is a three-way deal here, so just buckle up and pay attention. Uh-oh. Um, the NFL trade chart. First he asked, what chart do most teams use? And some teams use different versions of the chart. Yes. So that is tough to know what teams think of different combinations of picks. So Bob wants to try to pick up for Jeff a selection there in the middle of the third round. Or the middle of the second round. So the Giants trade away pick number four and pick number 36, okay? In return, they get pick six, 31, and 71. The Chargers get pick four, and the Niners get pick 36 and 39. What were they again? They were six? The and Giants what? get six, 71, and 36, and they lose their first and second rounder. So they move back two spots in the first round, move up five spots in the second round, and pick up pick 71. Nice job, Bob. I like the way he's thinking. Um, I probably would do it because I want to get into that third round, and I would get me a 71. I would still have my 99, right, John? Uh, no, you were moving 99 to the Niners. Hmm. So I would have six, six, 31 and 71 and you 110 and 110. So basically you're going from yeah, I'm pushing it down a little bit. Yeah. Right? You're going from 99 to 71. Yeah, I'm doing you're it. going from 36 to 31, but you're going four to six. I'm doing it. I would do that too. I think I'm okay with that trade as well. Yeah, I'm going to get better players from 6 to 71 yeah. than I'm going to get from 71 to 110. Yeah, and the, char the Chargers would lose. Basically, the Chargers would give the Giants pick 71 to move up from 6 to 4, and the Niners would get picks 36 and 39 for 31. I thought it was actually an uh, I'm still getting an offensive tackle at 6. Sure, absolutely. Um, you might yeah. get the, your, your favorite one at 6, for all you know. And Yeah, exactly. And, and at 31, we're talking... This is that I like that try. I like that. Nice job, Bob. Good, you also good. have the bonus of that extra first round pick at thirty one, which means the mm -hmm. extra economic advantage of having the fifth year option. All right, Steven asked if uh Gabe Gettle will be by himself. I mentioned Ty will be there with him, Ty Siam. So um keep that in mind. All right, final question, guys, and this is where we sit. Final point we'll make before the draft finally happens tonight. From Robert. Which tackle prospects fits the Giants' system the best? And then from Michael, from what you guys have heard and gathered as of today, and this question was written three weeks ago, but I'm asking it today, <laughs> with the fourth overall pick, the Giants are selecting who? Give me who you would pick, and then give me your prediction. Jeff Fiegels, lead us off. Well, who I would pick, it would be uh, Becton, okay? Micah Becton. I like him because he's a big, nasty dude. I, you know, he's going to grow. I don't think that the Giants are that enamored about size and things like that. I think they're more of the conservative type that want a guy that's going to be there for you for a long time, smart, no problems whatsoever. And that's going to be uh, – both of you guys agree with this. Um, that's the guy from Georgia, uh, Thomas, Andrew Thomas. Okay, so you would want Becton, you think they'll take Thomas. Paul, your thoughts? 
Well, my heart got overwhelmed because I wanted Simmons for months, but I realized that that was not the smart pick and the best fit. So therefore, I changed my want to Andrew Thomas, and I also happen to think that the Giants will pick Andrew Thomas. So I'm really uh, kind of melting the two thoughts there together. Sure, that's a good sure. thing. Makes sense. All right, uh, my, my final thought here, I've, I, I want Jedrick Wills. I think he's a plug-and-play right tackle in year one. He'll play at a high level. I think he has all the tools to move to the left side without a problem. I think I just don't see any weaknesses with his game when I watch him. I think he's rock solid. I think he's a safe pick as you can have. Uh, he'll, he'll get a good recommendation from Nick Saban, who obviously is connected with Joe Judge, I believe, and look, there's too many plugged-in reporters right now, from Albert Breer to Peter King to Daniel Jeremiah to Mel Kuyper. <laughs> I have not seen, since the Saquon Barkley draft, this much of a consensus on who the Giants are going to take in Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. So why not? I'll go with the consensus. I think they'll take Wirfs. Yeah, I think... Of the three that the, what we all want, I think mine is probably the flyer of all of them. I think the other two are more consistently. If you did a pool or, a, you know, you did a, um, a, what do you call it? You asked a lot of bunch of people, a poll. I think that mine guy would be the, the worst of the two. And by the way, I, I like to, to my point before, there are good arguments for any of the four tackles. And yeah. I don't think any of us are going to have an issue if they pick any of the offensive tackles. No, nope, I just want one of them. Bingo. Gentlemen, this has been a lot of fun. We finally get some answers Woo. tonight. And, folks, before we say goodbye, here's all the programming coming up for you on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are going to have a live podcast on Saturday after the Giants' fourth pick. We are going to have a live podcast on Sunday at noon. We are going to be able to take calls. It'll be a little bit different. It'll be a little bit less technologically advanced. You won't have a call screener, but we'll be able to get calls on the air. So stay tuned for that. We'll have our normal Big Blue kickoff live on Friday at noon. Stay tuned for that. We are also going to have, and that will be recorded at, at, at noon on Friday. We'll post that up like we have these other episodes. We are also going to record rapid re re reaction and response podcast after each pick on Thursday and Friday at the end of round one. We will post the podcast just reacting to the pick and just quickly going through who the best guys left are left for Friday. And then on Friday night, We'll have a quick podcast reacting to the second-round pick or maybe a trade, who knows. And then we'll have a quick podcast reacting to the pick at the end of the third round and previewing day two. So, And then at the end of the day on Saturday, we'll have a recap pod as well, uh, breaking down exactly what happened. So you'll have plenty of big blue kickoff content. I know it stinks. We won't be live on Friday night like we usually are. But uh, again, the NFL has put in some rules to prevent us from doing that. But we hope you check out all our content. I will try to get those podcasts posted as quickly as possible so you can access them and check them out before the next day's draft. Gentlemen, have fun tonight and stay safe. Enjoy. You Thank you, guys. For Paul Dottino and Jeff Fiegels, I am John Schmelk. We will see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Everybody, have a great day.